This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, Episode 20. This is Writing Excuses, Creator versus Creation. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry? And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And we are talking about two general topics dealing with creators versus creation that seem to tie in well, at least in our own heads. And we're going to start with the idea that sometimes you as a writer will be will create something. When you give it to your fans, it will take on this life of its own. Even if your fans are only your local friends. I can remember when I was first writing books, um, Dan and I were at The Leading Edge, a magazine um, a, at, at BYU, and people started reading my books, the, my unpublished ones. And then suddenly there was this weird thing about my books. It's the first time I experienced it where they were talking about them externally to me. And it's almost like my friends at the magazine claimed my work. And they claimed me, but my work. And it's my first experience with my work come, going outside of me, um, which is a weird experience that I'd like to talk about and see if it helps you as listeners think about your writing in a new way or if it just prepares you for what might come. Yeah, one of the, the things we say in theater, and it, it applies across to this, is that you know, if it's not on the page, it's not on the stage, mm-hmm. which is basically that you know, whatever you put out there is what the audience will see. Mm-hmm. And that once it leaves your hands, you don't actually have any control. You can't go back and, and adjust the audience right. response. Right. So, and that that's one of the the things about fiction is that everything that leaves, everything you write, is going to have some sort of life of its own. Mm-hmm. And so, you need to kind of look at what you're putting on the page and try to imagine the different ways it can be perceived. Right. And and make sure that you're. You don't have to make sure, like you don't have right. to overthink this. Right. But also don't be surprised when someone comes to you and says, oh, you know, this thing that you did, I was, and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So as a, uh, as a web cartoonist, um, I, I have a, I think I have a much different experience with this mm-hmm. in that uh, when I started, um, I had this thought that, and a lot of web cartoonists had this thought in order to maintain an audience and in order to grow an audience you have to foster a community around Mm -hmm. the project and in order to foster that community the community needs a hub and so you should be there and be active and we actually see that a lot with you know writers today who are building facebook pages and twitter Mm -hmm. feeds and whatever else and uh what i have only only really recently i think matured into is this idea that I should not be in mm-hmm. those places talking to those people about what I really meant because that shuts the discussion down. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what they want to do is speculate and have a discussion. Um, I agree with you 100% yeah. on that one. Ditto. Yeah. I had a great lesson in this um, with, I can't remember which of the John Cleaver books, I think it was mm-hmm. Mr. Monster, but I had the chance for two stops on the book tour to double up with F. Paul Wilson, who writes right. in a similar genre. And in one of the locations, somebody came up to him, and she obviously had this incredibly deep personal connection to his books. And it was obvious from watching her talk to him 
that he didn't know what she was talking about, that he didn't share that connection, mm. that he didn't feel whatever it was she felt. But he was incredibly open and he was, you know, he let her talk. He let her have the moment she needed as a fan and thanked her very much and signed her book. And she, you know, the two of them had different experiences, but they were both beneficial. Yeah, mm. yeah. one of the, uh, the things that we would say in, in theater a lot was, I'm so glad you noticed that. I worked really hard on it. If they were excited about something and right. you had no idea what they were talking about. And, and honestly, some of this is because like, I would go into schools and third graders would come up to me and, and they would say things that were incoherent. Right. And recognizing that what they want is for someone to understand that they connected with it deeply and they assume that you as the creator have connected with it as deeply as they do. And sometimes that is not true. I've had fans come and say, thank you for writing Elantris in which people have this chronic pain. I, I know it's obviously a metaphor for cancer and I was going through cancer at the time. To mm -hmm. which I'm like, wow, uh, I'm so glad my book helped you. Yeah. 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 The, one, the one I'm getting <laughs> right now wrong. with ruins is, uh, is a lot of soldiers mm. who, who were stationed in Afghanistan will come to me and say, this speech by this partial soldier is exactly what we felt like over there. I did not plan that. Mm -hmm. It was not on purpose, but that's what they're getting out of it. Yeah, so, and yeah. that's one thing that you need to realize is that the reader reaction is not wrong. Even if yeah. it's not mm -hmm. something that you, ex you planned, even if it is a reaction that you really don't want them to have, it's not wrong. That is still the honest reaction that mm -hmm. they had. And the surest way to piss someone off is to tell yeah. them that they're wrong about the reaction that they had to your right. book. That's the nature of art. That's why we create yeah. art, is to provoke emotions and to explore the human condition. And if they're reading your work and it's provoking emotions and exploring the human condition, I mean, that's our job. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. And so, yeah, I, I agree 100%. My question then, the natural seg is, how much do the fans own the art and how much not? We get into the problem, the, the issues where, you know, where Neil Gaiman posted, you know, uh, George R. R. Martin, to paraphrase, does not belong to you. Um, he may do what he wishes. But at the same time, I went through this thing where with the Wheel of Time, I was brought in as the writer on it. But I felt that at that point, with the creator having passed away, that it wasn't mine. And mm -hmm. to an extent, it wasn't even Harriet's, his wife. It then had passed into fandom's hands. And I was a, a short-time steward for it. And so there's this, this, this dynamic of how much do you feel that the fans own your art? Howard, you're creating a consistent, persistent um, story. They, you know, <laughs> honestly, um, they don't own the right to tell the story that airs on the web. Right. And they don't own the right to make money on mm -hmm. it. But I can't think of anything else that they're not allowed to own. They, they will read that. I, mean, I know I do it. You know, I mm -hmm. read things, I watch things, and I tell myself stories about these characters. Yep. I go way beyond. I depart the text, mm -hmm. to quote uh, Burke Breathed. Um, depart the text all the time. Uh, and and as I, said, as I said in my comments earlier, I feel like I have only recently matured into the point where I'm okay with this. Uh, somebody uh, posted on the Facebook page... Uh, Schlock had been um, offered the opportunity to, or somebody had called attention to the fact 
that they could only get him to do what they want him to do if they give him the opportunity to perform excessive violence. And in the last panel, he's saying, oh, oh, yes, please. And his hand has reached around the panel border, breaking the fourth wall as he's pushing himself closer to them to talk. And somebody said, I love how Schlock's hand on the panel is using excessive force to make more room for himself <laughs> as a metaphor for what's just been said in the comic. And my first reaction was, that was very clever of me. <laughs> and my second reaction, my second reaction, and what I actually wrote was, uh, achievement unlocked, decoder of subtle visual metaphor. <laughs> um, and everybody loved that response. And this, is, this comes back to what Mary said. I'm so glad you noticed that. Did I put that in there on purpose? I put that in there because it felt funny and it felt right. And maybe subtly that was what I was saying, but it has taken on a meaning that they own mm -hmm. and I'm okay with acknowledging it. You know, every one of us has gone through this from the audience side yeah. with the Star Wars prequels mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. we felt like we owned Star Wars and it was our thing and we grew up with it and then new prequels came out and it's not what we would have done with it. And I think that more than anything else, say whatever you want about the quality of the films or the art, it's the fact that it's not what we'd been imagining in our backyards for 20-whatever years. That, there were that people ownership. for whom it was what they wanted and what they expected, but those people are all dumb. <laughs> <laughs> the reader reaction is not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stop for our book of the week. Um, our book of the week this week is Monstrous Regiment by Terry Pratchett. Um, those who have listened for a while know that Terry Pratchett is one of my very favorite writers, and I was exhausted on tour that I just got back from, brain dead after a very long, you know, get up early, do a bunch of signings, and I needed something that I could read that would just be pure joy, and I've been saving this one. I had never read it before, and it was absolute joy. It is Terry Pratchett's um, take on the, the, the legend of the young woman who dresses like a boy and goes to war. Um, but it is hilarious. It is amazing. It's, if you've never read a Pratchett book, it stands very well on its own. A great place to start. If um, this sort of concept, someone poking fun at both genders by using someone pretending to be the other one, um, is um, interesting to you at all, I think you will love this book. Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership. Grab a copy of Monstrous Regiment by Terry Pratchett for free and have somebody read it to you, and that'll be awesome. All right, so the second half of this podcast deals with a perhaps delicate topic, which is the idea of, since we're talking about the creation versus the creator, um, how right is it, or I don't know if we need to put a value judgment on it, but what are the ramifications of separating the art from the artist to the point that you... If there's an artist who is creating art that you love, but personally has politics that you dislike a great deal, or is as an individual someone that you mm -hmm. learned that you would probably loathe, that how does that affect the art in your mind, and um, what is the relationship here? I, I, I will start here because I consider myself to be on one end of the scale, mm -hmm. which is consider the art as its own thing. If it is good art, then it doesn't matter what it's about or who it comes from. It is good because of itself. Okay. I'm in the same position, except I recall, and I need to relate this anecdote without dropping any names, I recall being at a convention 
uh, and spending a lot of time around a voice actor mm -hmm. for a, a program that I loved. And the more this individual spoke, the more I became convinced that he was just a horrible human being. And he was doing impressions of the characters the whole time. And now every time I watch that program, I hear him saying things that I hate. And it's really, really difficult for me to separate it. Now, that's probably different than, uh, than you know, right. writers, except when writers blog or yeah. say things on social media that you find offensive and they are using turns of phrase that are common in their mm -hmm. work you may find it difficult to separate the two because you'll read their work and you will find that voice still there saying the things you don't like. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's besides the, um, we'll say the taint of the, the thing that you dislike. Taint's a great word. Isn't that a good word? Um, I'm a writer. There's, there's also the, uh, the money issue. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, sometimes it's not so much that you have to stop enjoying a book or that you have to stop enjoying the thing but sometimes you may just feel like you don't want to give that person money. Or it's the boycott. Yeah. Right. Well, it's mm -hmm. not even the boycott. It's not it it's the I mean it's it's capitalism in action. It's mm -hmm. the where do I want to where do you want to put your money? Where do I want to put my money? And sometimes it's like, you know what? I'm just not comfortable with that. And I think it's very much an individual decision. Yes. And and even with you know, with a person, you know, like person A, if person A has said something objectionable, I may go ahead and buy project one, but I'm not going to buy project five, yeah. you know, and it, and some of right. it will, some of it is going to d just depend on where you are, how excited you are about the project. And, and, and it's, it's okay to, you know, to, to not want to give them money, and it's okay to say, you know what, it's right. I, I do want this thing. Now, see, one thing on this, I, I fall in a different place than Dan. Um, I would say I'm kind of somewhere in between, because if it's someone's politics, I will not let that influence me. In fact, I think it's important for me to be reading and experience art created by people whose politics and views on life are different from my own. If I'm not doing that, then I am insulating myself. Um, and so... In that case, I don't, you know, if someone is passionate about something and I disagree 100%, that's a good thing for me to research. However, if the person themselves is acting in a, in a way that I consider reprehensible, then I err more on the, I'm not sure I want to be involved in this because I don't want to encourage this, this sort of thing. And that's, that's a hard line. Yeah. Because you can't call simply believing differently than yourself reprehensible. Yeah. Um, like uh, an example of this is when a, a, a writer treats their fans in a way that I think is a, is a bad way, when they are mistreating their fans, that makes me want to never associate with their art again. Yeah. When they tell their fans they're wrong. See what I did there? How I uh, tied the second half of the cast. Right, right, right. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> Um, but this is this is very individual, and I, the reason we want to talk about this on the podcast is these are issues that you, as a writer, you are going to have to decide where you stand on it. How vocal are you going to be? Because no matter what you say, someone will be offended by it. And um, how quiet do you want to be? How important are your personal views to you? And how can you present them um, in a way I would suggest 
that you can, you can present very strong views without being offensive to people who disagree with you. We should, in fact, I'm going to suggest, yes. can of worms that and do a podcast on how to have an opinion as a writer. Okay. okay. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good yeah. one. We have opinions on how you should have opinions. <laughs> yeah. And you should listen to our opinions yes. on your opinions. Yeah. Well, and that and what we're currently discussing are both a big deal right now in the science fiction fantasy community. Yes, they are. You go online and it is does not take you long to see various fights and things that go on and, well, and it's I, important to think about. That. I have to say that this is something that is not just in the science fiction and fantasy community Absolutely. and it's mm -hmm. also something that has been around for a long time. Like if you go back mm -hmm. and you look at a lot of the fanzines, you'll see this sort of verbal fisticuffs. Well, one of the... You know, we, we've been very careful to avoid... Um, naming any names as we talk about this, but I will, I will bring up an example that's a good 50 or 60 years old, uh, which is the movie On the Waterfront, which is considered to be one of the classics of American cinema. Um, the, the director, whose name I can't remember now because I'm a moron, he has won all kinds of awards for it, but the movie is kind of about a defense of naming names during the McCarthy era, and so there are many people who object to it violently. And so this has been going on for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I, I come to the science fiction and fantasy community from the web cartooning community. And on the one hand, every so often I look at our, uh, our spats, our kerfluffles, our whatevers, and I think, oh, you bunch of lightweights. Um, <laughs> but, but I also recall uh, something that somebody said to me about some of the... Uh, uh, arm wrestling and and uh, mudslinging that goes on in academia. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and and what goes on in uh, in the corporate world and how academia seems so much worse. And what he said was, oh, you know what? The lower the stakes are, the harder they fight. Mm -hmm. And and that has always that has always stuck with me. I don't want to I don't want to have a I don't want to I don't want to be squabbling because I disagree with somebody over something that really doesn't matter all that much. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's a gross generalization. Oh, but, almost certainly. But, uh, but I, I do know, I've, I've certainly seen that. Um, I will say nothing about my term of office. <laughs> all right, <laughs> let's stop it there. I actually have a writing prompt for us. Oh, um, good. Writing prompt is, one of your creations, listener, has gained a life of its own in some way, and now write a story about that. All right, this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? 
So join me in supporting Locus. 